0: All right. Let's open our Bibles to Book of James. We're still in Chapter One this morning, and then, if you will, I have a, basically it's it's sort of like a two part introduction, and it's not I don't think it's terribly long. It's just that I had to divide divide the two um, the two aspects of the introduction for the sake of sermon flow, and I think for the sake of gaining a better understanding of. Uh, what this passage is really speaking to us. Uh, this is James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'm not going to read it just yet, but I guess the first part of this introduction has to do with um, money and material possessions. Uh, but don't worry, it's not going to be that kind of sermon, okay? Uh, because I think there's... Anytime we speak about money and material possessions, there's there, there's something greater that needs to be spoken to, okay? Um, it, it comes down to the matter of the heart. And today is no different. But if we are going to look at money and material possessions, I, I, the general consensus is that is the more the better. And uh, we are a very materialistic world, so to speak. And I think Christians really struggle with this too because it's all around us and there's hardly anything that we can do to not be involved with it. Uh, we definitely definitely need prayer and each other's support and encouragement not to, not to sin like the rest of the world does when it comes to money and material posi- possessions. And even the church, even Christians, we spend a lot of time working uh, to either get ahead or to gain a financial advantage in the future. And we all do this through investments, savings, all, all, all kinds of things. Um, the world does it at all costs. Uh, the church, the Christian, should not do it at all costs. Uh, but we do work to secure our future and to take care of ourselves in the here and now. And there's nothing wrong with being a good steward of God's blessings. We are commanded in scripture to do so. But here's the question, when does it become a problem? The Bible warns, and by a problem, I mean when does it become a sinful act? Because that's, as God's people, that's what we are concerned with. We do not want to disobey God. We do not want to sin against God in any area of our life. So when, it, when does it become a, a, a spiritual problem? Well, the Bible warns us to be careful when it comes to our outlook on money and possessions. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That stands true today. And so there is a clear warning from Scripture for us to guard our hearts against it. But the thing is, is that money in itself is not evil. The Scripture says the love of money over all things is why? Because our devotion and our love belongs to God first and foremost. Well, in our passage today, James teaches about spiritual trials. Uh, he, he's, he teaches about temptations. But more specifically, he, he preaches or teaches on these trials and temptations that poverty and riches can bring. And, and you heard me say that correctly the trials and temptation that poverty and and riches bring rich or poor we must guard our hearts and stay focused on two things loving God and loving each other out of reverence for Christ so let me read the passage and then I'll give you some context and that's going to be the next part of the introduction Uh, chapter James chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 Says here, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So if we're going to look at this passage as it's stand, standing alone, and we should never do that, but if, if we do, then we automatically go to, oh, this is about how we spend our money. This is, about, you know, this is about money and possessions. But if we look at it in context with everything else that has been preached up to this point, it, it, goes, it goes deeper than that because the context here that James is writing to the early church about is the testing of their faith. OK, um, he's this 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 early church is number one. It is a diaspora. They, they are a scattered church. They are scattered believers in Gentile territory. And so I guess we can label them as foreigners uh, because they're foreigners in two, two ways. They're, they're foreigners in the fact that they are not in their home country, but they're also foreigners in the fact that they are not from this world, so to speak. Right. They're, they're like us. Our home is not here. Our home is in heaven with God. But James is writing to them because they are physically scattered in Gentile territory. And these believers did not have a place to call home like they had before. The reason why they're scattered is because they're escaping uh, persecution from the Jews. And so they did not have anywhere to call home because they had left everything behind. And as Christians, it made it even worse. They were outcasts and hated by Gentiles because of their new and also weird religion. Polytheism was the way to go back then, where you worship many gods. Monotheistic faith was looked at as weird to see that there was only one God. And then the way they looked at this God, this God was, he was, he was one but three. So it was very confusing to everybody else around them, and because of that, they were persecuted for their faith. And that's putting it very simply. There were other things as well, but they were being persecuted because of who they believed in. And one of the main oppressors of these early Christians was the rich that James talks about. These rich Gentiles, they used their wealth and their influence uh, basically to get at them because they had the resources to do so. But when you look at these Christians, what's awesome about it is that despite their circumstances, James, who is a leader within this early church, he is challenging the believers of that day to stand firm in their faith, and he's telling them to count it all joy. That's, that's the context that we're speaking of here, because if you back up, to verse 2 of chapter 1, that's where it starts. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, being oppressed by these rich landowners, that's exactly what he's speaking about. He's like, hey, you need to find joy in that. And I think as Christians, that really speaks to our hearts, because there are some things that are beyond our circumstances, and yet God doesn't give us an excuse just to do whatever we want to do. He commands us to find joy in all things. But listen, because he commands us to do it, that means it's possible. Right? Because he commands us to do it, that means he's given us the ability to do it. We need to rely on him. But we can do it. And so these Christians were commanded to count everything as joy. And James also reminded them to ask God for wisdom. If if for some reason they could not find a reason to rejoice or to see joy in their circumstance, um, James says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Now that was specific to the aspect of wisdom. Lord, I... I, don't, I can't handle this right now. I'm not finding joy. Uh, help me to see the things that I normally can't see. Help me to see you working behind this circumstance. Help me to see the way you have been encouraging me and strengthen me. Help me to see your blessings in this trial. And the Lord says, I will help you. I will help you. I'll give you the wisdom to be able to see those things. Now, will we see it all clearly? no. Because we there's still some things that we have to deal with within ourselves, but God is always faithful to give us wisdom when we ask for it. But then there's a caveat here that James says, if you're going to ask for wisdom, you ask in faith. In other words, if you're going to ask for wisdom, you have to trust God that he will give you what you need. You may not get everything you want. You may not walk away with the clear understanding of everything that's happened to you or our clear understanding of what's going on in this trial. But if you trust God, he'll give you what you need at that moment in time. And so that, that is more of the context of what we're speaking about here. And then um, with James, it's, it's kind of hard to follow along because they're, they're set up like his sayings are set up like New Testament Proverbs. And it seems like these are isolated things that he's talking about but there is a connection between everything that is being mentioned so he tells them ask for wisdom and it'll be given to you the important thing about wisdom is that wisdom guides us back to god godly wisdom it guides us back to god especially when we're fearful in our trial when we shrink back in faith wisdom has a way to calibrate us One of the early passages that I remembered as a Christian, and it's always really stuck in my mind, is Joshua 1, verse 9. Joshua 1, verse 9 has really got me through some tough times. And this is where God approaches Joshua, and Joshua has this big responsibility to lead the nation of Israel and the army of God. And he must have been afraid or dismayed or Whatever emotion he was feeling, but God told him, "Have I haven't or have I not commanded you?" He says, "Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed." He says, "For the Lord, your God, the Lord your God, will be with you wherever you go." That's important because that's a reflection of God's covenant promise with his people. That's essentially what God has promised his people. I will be there. Now listen, that's important when you have a sovereign God. Why? Because everything is under his control. The fact that he says, I will be with you, that is supposed to eliminate any kind of worry or or fear that we have. Why? Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So that covenant promise to us, to his people, is, is extremely important. And we have to look at what James is saying here in chapter one with that covenant promise in the background. Because remembering God's covenant promise to protect us, to provide for us, um, and to not only that, but to use all things according to his purpose, that. Changes our perspective on everything. And and when I look at this passage, perspective is the important thing here. There's a lesson about money and possessions. Yes, there is that. But more importantly, what is your perspective on these things? What is your perspective on life? What is your perspective on God? All these things are connected to what James is asking the Christians to do. And verses 9 through 11. It's through God's covenant promise that James presents this command to the church. And, and, and it's through that covenant promise that it should change our perspective on how we see everything, not just, um, not just being rich or being poor. So that's where I want to start, verse 9 through, uh, through the first half of verse 10. Speaks about, I want to speak to you about having a heavenly perspective about things. Um, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. That's where, that's, that's where he leaves off and that's where I, the second part is related to something else. Now James uses a New Testament proverb to teach uh, the church, this scattered church, a very important lesson about their current circumstances. He acknowledges two categories here. He says the lowly brother and the rich. Now, it's not certain, and many theologians who are a lot brighter than I, um, who are a lot wiser than I, have more knowledge than I, they are not even certain of exactly who he's speaking about here. Um, because it's not certain if both of the, uh, of the positions are, are, are the categories that James mentions, if they're both Christians or Is the lowly one a Christian, but the rich aren't here? Um, All that is not certain. It's almost 50-50 as far as what theologians believe and have believed in the past. I, I really don't think that's important to know. Because what is certain is the heavenly perspective all Christians are to have about being lowly or being rich. He says, let the lowly brother, means lowly of pride. The word basically means or denotes a position of humility. Now, when you read it in context, um, it means a position of financial humility or fiscal humility. I like the way the New American Standard Bible reads. It says, for the same verse, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Now, I think when we read humble circumstances, many of us can relate to that. Um, Not many of us grew up rich or with anything we wanted. We grew up in humble circumstances. So what this passage is pointing to and who James is talking about are those who are lowly, financially, those who are poor. But if you read that, if you read verse 9 very closely, it almost sounds like a repetition of verse 2, right? Doesn't it sound like he's saying in different words, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James is using the wisdom of Christ to teach the early Christians that things aren't always as they seem. From a worldly perspective, to be poor is seen as being lowly, to be humbled. Um, And being rich is seen is seen as being exalted, to be privileged. But like Christ, when you look at this situation, James turns the situation on its head. He said the opposite. He said, to be lowly is to be exalted, and to be rich is to be humbled. Makes you scratch your head like, wait, what a second. What, what are you talking about? Because that doesn't match up from a worldly perspective, from a material perspective. So uh, materialistic perspective. So James is not talking about like what's, what's here, society. He's, thinking, he's talking about things we don't see. He's talking about from a spiritual standpoint. When it comes to the kingdom of God, everything is turned on its head. Jesus said, Matthew 19 30, many who are first will be last and the last first. We can judge things with our eyes. We can come to conclusions. Everybody has an opinion. But only God sees and knows truth. He is the, he is the only one who can judge rightly. As I said, we might have an opinion of things, but God's word stands alone as ultimate truth. The lowly here were to, be, were to consider themselves exalted because what? Because why? Well, think about this. If they had the right perspective, they knew they belonged to God. And this is what James is getting to. You belong to the Lord. You are not your own. So, even though they were lowly, they were to consider themselves exalted because of who they belonged to. And whatever it was that they lacked in this world would pale in comparison to the blessings that God had in store for them in the next world through Christ. Not only that, that's, that's like looking forward, but even here, even here and now, being lowly means you have more opportunities. To trust God. And you're like, I don't, that doesn't sound like very much fun. It's not fun. I didn't say it was gonna be fun, but you have more opportunities to trust God and to see Him at work in your life and to see His strength, His wonder, His power, His majesty. So if you're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm a person who just has trouble all the time, I'm a Christian, I'm God's. I'm God's child. Why child? Why is this coming upon my life? I don't want it anymore. I don't want any more trouble. Well, you're promised that, but not here. That comes in the next life. Here and now, find joy in your trials. Because it is through these trials that you learn not to trust in yourself more, Not to build up your faith, but you learn to trust in God. So, yes, the lowly can be considered exalted when you think about it that way. And the reason why I say this goes beyond financial or material possessions is because we can be lowly in all sorts of things. There are people right now who have been humbled in life by by sickness, by death through just trials and tribulations that, that, that just really come in and wreck our lives. But that does not change your situation or your stance with God. To God, you are being exalted. Not only in this life, but also in the next. Why? Because you are his covenant child. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, this, this whole train of thought goes further than just being rich or poor. To be poor in anything while belonging to God is an ama- amazing privilege. And these Christians, as they wander through this foreign land, God reminded them through James that they had a great home with him. As we wander through this foreign land, God reminds us that we have a great home with him. John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself and where I am, you may be also. If that doesn't change your perspective, I don't know what will. We have to remind ourselves of this because we think, oh, this is permanent. What I go through here and now, what I have or don't have here and now is permanent. No, it's not permanent. We, we have to recalibrate ourselves and to think of, 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 of the mercy and grace that we have through this covenant that God has set up with his people. That he will be here. He will be with us wherever we go. He's going to protect to provide for us. And he's going to use everything for his glory and our good. That is what changes our perspective. It doesn't matter if we're lowly or if we're exalted. If we're rich or we're poor. Everything's going to work out in the end, so to speak. And not only in the end, but while things are working out here on earth, we know we have God by our side. So if God has humbled you with anything in life, I want to tell you it's, it's, it's okay. And I, I can't tell you that because I can't say you're not hurting. I can't say you haven't been devastated. I can't say it's not hard because none of those things are true. It's supposed to be that way. That that is the product of sin in this world. So I don't want to take that away from you and say, just suck it up and you're going to make it because that's not the attitude that we should have with one another. But I will tell you, it's going to be okay. Because if God has humbled you through anything that you're going through, he will also exalt you in due time. What does that look like? I don't know. I don't know. That that Only God knows that. Will it be your circumstances completely going away and you get exactly what you pray for and there are no more troubles? It could happen. I doubt it. You may not want to trust me, though. I'm a little bit more negative. I doubt it's going to work out just like the way you want it. Although, there have been times where it's like, wow, it worked out better than I wanted, and God is good regardless. But me making you this promise or, or reminding you of this promise, it's just basically saying God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your needs. He's going to provide for you everything that you need in this life, right? He's going to provide everything you need for godliness. And that's where we have to say, you know what, I need to trust that. I need to believe that. Because here's the question of the day. When you are being humbled by God, when you're going through trials, when you lack, when you are hurting, how much do you trust that God will do the right thing for you? How much? Well, your reaction to that trial, your reaction to, to those things gives you the answer. Because if if trials take you somewhere, take you to dark places, and what I mean by that is spiritually dark places, then you have the wrong perspective. Because trials are not meant to do that for you. Now, in order for you to get from the dark place To a light place, okay, I can understand that because usually that's where we tend to go, and then we have to remind ourselves of God's promises and His protection and His presence. But as life goes on, as you mature as a Christian, you should stop going to these dark places automatically. Why? Because God has already proven Himself to you, He's already shown you that He can be trustworthy. But if trials just come on, I mean, just the simplest trial, and all of a sudden you go to these dark places, brother or sister, you have the wrong perspective. You have too much invested in this world. Way too much. It means too much to you. You think this is a permanent setting, and it's not. You're here today, gone tomorrow. And if you sit there and focus on all the bad and how permanent it is and how it's never going to go away and you're just you hate your life. You're going to miss out on the few years that you have. You're going to miss all the joy, all the sanctification that could go on in those times of trials. So that that's where it matters. If you spend your time thinking about how things aren't fair and how God is somehow unjust Because he didn't do what you thought he was supposed to do. Or you feel like he didn't come through for you. Or you feel like he's picking on you. Or you feel like anything else um, that that makes God look unjust, then you have the wrong perspective. Listen, it's hard. We all go through that. If we like to admit it or not. We all go through that. But James is saying, listen, you need to have the right perspective. If you have the right perspective, then you can count it all joy. If you have the right perspective, then let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And let the the rich in his humiliation. Because the only thing that matters is that we belong to him and he belongs to us. To us, if you're thinking about, oh, God's unjust or things aren't fair, uh, you're you're thinking like a local, so to speak, right? I, I grew well. I didn't grow up there, but in high school years, I lived in Port O'Connor, and it was always just kind of um, I don't know a nuisance in the summertime when everybody would come, and you had the locals, and then you had those who were the tourists, right? And so you saw somebody acting a certain way, you're like, oh, you know, that's a tourist. But the locals knew the land, they knew what to do. You know, it was just same old, same old, everybody did the same thing. From a heavenly perspective, we don't want to think like a local, we're not from here. We, we want to be one of those annoying tourists, right? Annoying to the world because of what we, re- what we represent, who we belong to. So we're not from here to have that perspective as a local perspective. We need to have a perspective of, oh, this is not permanent. We're we're passing through here. We're passing by. Now, on the flip side, I spoke a lot about being lowly, but listen, there's also opportunity for sin and temptation on the flip side. Because on the flip side, if you are rich in anything, materials, money, or just rich in blessings, it's very easy for those blessings, that richness, to become your comfort and your happiness. You start to identify with being rich in something. Well, that's idolatry. When your happiness, your joy, your contentment is based on material things, that's idolatry. You have the wrong perspective. Listen to this Matthew chapter 16, verses 26 to 27. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? for the son of man is coming is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done so this is something else that's happening in the book of James as we travel along you're going to start to see that James has James has his perspective of this last judgment and as we are walking along He's reminding people of this judgment of God, this ultimate judgment of God. So that's also not only the covenant promise of God, but also this judgment of God, which is part of the covenant promise of God. Right. So as James teaches, he does so reminding the believers of this impending judgment. And he warns that they cannot serve two masters. Right. That's a reminder for them. They have to choose either between riches or God. Although these believers were being mistreated, James is also reminding them, hey, you cannot be like them. If he's speaking to Christians here, both poor and rich, then that's a reminder. Hey, you see how they are mistreating your brothers and sisters in Christ? Don't be like that because being rich does not allow you privileges to mistreat others. They were to understand that they were, to, they were stewards of God's blessings and not the owner of these riches. I think it's fascinating how things of the world are, are, how God flips him upside down and things are completely different when it comes to spiritual matters. It makes me stand in awe of God. It makes me, it reminds me of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Praise God, he is who he is. And praise God that he gives us wisdom to understand what is being talked about here. It's an awesome privilege. Not everybody has this wisdom. Not everybody can understand it, only those with the spirit of God. So you are, you are blessed to be able to understand this saying. Many look at it and they say, it makes no sense to me. Many look at it and hate it. But you look at it and it brings you encouragement and joy. So yes, having, having a heavenly perspective is very important. But also, having a heavenly hope is important. And that's, where we see, that's what we see in uh, the second half of verse 10. And also verse 11. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away like the of, in the midst of his pursuits. I love this illustration that James gives to help believers of that day understand why they were to have a heavenly perspective. He said the rich are like a flower of the grass, meaning like everything else, uh, they are passing away. Now, I believe an important lesson here in this text is that uh, there is nothing in this world that you or I should put our ultimate hope in. Nothing. Nothing at all. And that's really hard if you really think about it because there is so much that we put our comfort in, that, that, we, that we take solace in and, and, and we have our hope in. And it's okay to hope for things here. It's okay to trust things here. Um, there's relationships that we have that there's trust But we always have to remember that everything here is temporary and it's stained by sin. So there's nothing in this world that we can have our ultimate hope in. That only, that trust only belongs to God. Whatever is earthly, it's going to pass away. It may be good because there are so many things that are good. That are earthly. There are so many blessings that God gives us in His in this in His creation. So it may be good, it may be beneficial, but it's only meant to be temporary. Think about the Ten Commandments. Think about their ultimate purpose and what they work to accomplish. They govern and protect our love for God and for each other. We shouldn't forsake the giver of all things for the gift, and we must not forsake each other for worldly comforts. And yet, that happens all the time. Everything is temporary except two things God and his people. The rich, the strong, the powerful, the poor, the famous, All, they all have the same conclusion. Their status is passing away. Their status, their riches, whatever they have, it's passing away. Thus says the Lord, I'm going to read what Pastor Laramie read when we opened the service. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So our boast doesn't come from what we have, doesn't come from what we can get. If we have a heavenly perspective and a heavenly hope, our boast is in the fact that we belong to the Lord. So, yes, seek the Lord and his righteousness. And the promise there is that all the things that we need for life and godliness will be added to us. There's one more passage that I want to conclude with. And I think it's just a tremendous passage when we're talking about perspective because the conclusion of the matter is christians christians have a living hope and this hope is kept alive by god and the passage i want to read to you to close this sermon is first peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9 i don't have to much i don't have to add much to it or anything at all because it speaks for itself <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. See that? That's why we don't put any, our ultimate hope in anything in this world. Our ultimate hope is in God because that is the only thing that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And Peter says, it's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. I love how it sounds like, count it all joy, my brothers, as you face Various trials are trials of various kinds. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse seven. So that the testing, so that the tested genuice, uh, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, Let us have a heavenly perspective. Let us also have a heavenly hope. Whatever your circumstance is today, you can find joy in that because you belong to Christ. Let's pray.